0: Well hello and welcome to Young Adults. My name is Jared and uh, I'm continuing tonight. We are continuing in our series on what is the wise thing to do. What's the wise thing to do? Logan talked The first week about the wise thing to do is to follow what the Bible says. And then after that, he's talked about how uh, we are to follow counselors, that we're supposed to have people that instill into our lives truth and wisdom and help us make decisions. And then last week, we talked about integrity. Uh, And this week, I want to talk about uh, what we lose in transition, not in translation, in transition. Um, Have you ever lost anything in a move before? Um, I lost my wedding ring. My wife got me this really nice wedding ring. It was really cool. The problem with it is it was just a, a hair too small, and we went to go move from the house that we first moved into when we were married to the house we live in now, and we got to the end of the day. It was like a long move day, and we got to the end of the day, and I was like, my wedding ring's not on my finger, and I have no idea where it is. Haven't seen it since, and it's gone forever. Um, When I was in high school, I was one of the problems with people losing things uh, in transition. Last week, uh, we talked about integrity, and I told a story about um, trying to dodge a ticket. We'll get into that later, but um, this week, I want to talk to you about a piece of integrity that I had that wasn't so awesome. No one was hurt, but... not a piece of integrity. But uh, when I was in high school, my youth pastor, I was super involved in our youth ministry. And our youth pastor owned like a landscaping company uh, that he would do in the summers. And so he had this 24-foot box truck. I mean, this, this massive, sorry, trailer. And so he had this massive trailer that he would haul stuff in. And uh, it, was, it was huge. And he'd get people all the time like, hey, I'm moving next weekend. Can I borrow your trailer? And he'd like, yeah, that's, that's fine. I'm, like, what are you going to pull it with? And like, does a Civic have what it takes to pull that? And he's like, no, it doesn't. So like, "Could I actually borrow your truck too? And he'd like end up going like, okay, well, if you're going to borrow my truck and my trailer, like, I've got a lot of money tied up in your move already. I'll just go ahead and help you. And then he would go, hey, can I get like four or five guys to come? Because nobody's ever actually ready to move. Nobody has stuff packed. You're, you're pulling stuff out of drawers and throwing it into a box and helping people. It, like, that's what helping people move looks like. So he was like, I'll grab four or five guys from our youth ministry and come help. And I was always one of those guys. And I don't remember where it was. Like, I think we counted one time and we had like 13 people moved in like the six years that I was in his youth ministry. And um, I don't remember when and where it was, but we went in somebody's house, and they didn't have anything packed, and at some point, we're just like packing stuff into boxes, like just packing stuff in, and he just goes, hey, you should hide this, and I, I, I don't remember what it was, but it was like, it started a seed of like, I like hiding things from people. I like mischievery and pranks, and so we would like take something and, and like put it in somebody else's car with a note that like says return to Mink Ferguson at this address and you'd get it and you'd be like, why is this in my possession? And you'd bring it back and they didn't know and it was always a funny thing or like we would try to uh, take somebody's like their, their DVD player like power cable and we'd keep it for like three weeks so they, they'd like get everything set up and be like, I swear we had that, it worked at the old house, right? It had a power cable to it and then uh, it shows up in your mailbox like four weeks after you move and that was me, but like, we, we'd help people move. Um, help people move and hide things along the way. Um, but you always lose things in transition, right? Like, not just in a physical move, but in uh, transitions in life. Uh, We we go through a lot of transitions in this ministry, and and one of the sad things that happens is that people graduate from school and get a job somewhere else or go on to something else, and it's always a little bit sad, but it's always um, a little bit exciting to see that transition happen, but uh, I'm sure that, like, from high school to college, there were things that you lost in that transition. There were things that you did with your high school friends that when you graduated, you're like, actually, that's not who I'm going to be anymore. Like, I don't want to be that. I was homeschooled all the way through, so there were a lot of things that I didn't want high school to be when I got to college. And it was like, there are actually people here. This is nice. Um, loneliness was one of the things that I lost. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, like, we, we lose things in, in transition, and it happens in those transitional parts of our lives that we leave some old things behind. And some of those things are good things to leave behind. And some of those things are, are good things that we have left behind. That maybe you've had a transition, and if you're here, I'm glad you're here because you're probably someone who wants to explore their spirituality at the, at the worst case scenario. Like, at the, at the bare minimum, you, you're open to growing spiritually. And hopefully you're here and you want to grow spiritually, not just uh, in spirituality, but in your faith to Jesus. But it always happens when we hear of somebody in our ministry that's like, man, they moved here and I I haven't seen. They used to post stuff all the time about young adults and High Street and their church. And then they went here and they're not posting stuff like that anymore. Man, they, they graduated, and they get into a post-grad program, and, and they're, just, they're not around anymore. They used to serve on the team. They used to serve on Sunday mornings. They used to be so involved in their fraternity and so many things that are good, and then they get to another transition in life, and that is lost in transition, and we end up leaving things in transition that shouldn't have been left, and sometimes it can happen in a slow, slow movement that maybe you have a couple of friends that have helped you transition to a new phase of life that, man, they go and do some things that your other friends wouldn't do and maybe you're still trying to hang on to your Christian faith but you're also trying to hang out with these new people and you enjoy it and it's good and it's new and but it's changing and it's not always for the better and it's different and you like the way this makes you feel and you're wearing man, it, it kind of honestly Serving was hard. Serving took it out of me. And this thing is kind of fun for the moment. And we leave things behind that we never should have left behind. There's relationships that we leave, that those were good, life-giving relationships, but we leave them behind. Um, the story that comes to mind the most about leaving things behind, and, and this is where we get to today, we're in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Um, I had a family member, my aunt is, was, was a runner and she was, she was gearing up to do um, a couple of marathons. She had a year that she was gonna do a couple of marathons in and, and she actually um, did, her last one was um, the Bass Pro Marathon and the Bass Pro Marathon, the first mile uh, marker is at the crossroad of my street and the bigger street that's right next to it. So, so I always knew that and she said she was gonna be there and I was like, oh, well, we'll try to cross paths with you and it'll be this fun thing. And she goes, oh, you know what you should do After the race is over. I said, no, what's that? And she said, what always happens in a marathon is that people don't always plan really well or they start off really well and then things change along the way. I said, what do you mean? And she said, people always get ready. I mean, this race is in November, so it's cold. You're getting, trying to get warmed up. And she said people wear hats. People wear gloves. People add on jackets. They have little vests that they wear that while they run. Like People are all bundled up. And she, gets, she said, you get to mile six. You get to mile seven. You might get to mile 10. You might get to mile 20, where people are used to having their long run in training. And what happens is, is they get warm. Things change for them, and they lose those gloves. They take off that hat. They throw the vest on the ground. Why? Because it's weighing them down and it's not something that's going to help them in their run and in their race so she said hey follow behind and see what stuff is left behind the next day it's kind of funny but it's the reality of what we do hebrews 12 is all about this race that he says that we're all called to run and we end up leaving things behind And and I think when we think through this, and it's like, okay, the, the things that I leave behind, whether they're good or they're bad, what does it matter? What does it matter if I have a bad habit that I bring with me on my walk with Christ? What does it matter if I don't tithe? What does it matter if I don't serve? What does it matter if I am not known by anybody? Me and God are good. What does it matter if me and other people are good? And I think we have to understand what the will, what the plan, what the hope of God is for each of our lives. And it's outlined so clearly in John 10.10 when he says that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It says that he prowls around like a lion waiting to devour those. Like, The plan here is like, ah, it's It's so small. It's not that big of a deal. You can carry that with you. You can can hold on to that. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to harm you. It's not going to slow you down on that race that you want to run in your life. But on the other side of that verse, he says that our enemy's deal is that he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But God wants to give us life and life abundantly. And I think that if I were to poll each of you or if I were to sit down with each of you and say, what do you want? You would probably describe a life that's abundant. You would probably describe a life that, man, you want to look back at 70 and say, man, my life is so meaningful. My life has meant something bigger than myself. My life has meant more than acquiring things or even experiences. But what is that? That's the beginning of Satan saying, I'm going to make you less effective. I'm going to make you less interesting to the outside world. And his plan is not to just neutralize. It's to kill. So as we look tonight at what the race that is that's set before us, he's talking about the walk of our lives, walking with God. So we're going to be in Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. And Hebrews was a sermon that was given by an author that we don't know to a group of Hebrew believers. And I want to start with Hebrews 12, verse 1, and it starts with the word, therefore. And you're always taught when you see therefore, you go back and see what it's there for because it's foundational to what he's getting ready to say. So in Hebrews 12, he starts with therefore. In Hebrews 11, he says this. This is verse one through three. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. Can I tell you that our race is not going to be all things that are visible. Our race is going to be with things that are invisible. And it's going to be a difficult thing because there are people that we look at and we say, you're winning life and they're losing that invisible race. So then he goes on and tells this story. And, And I challenge you to read it because it's, It's humbling, it's exciting, it's encouraging, and it's challenging. He goes on in all of Hebrews 11 and he gives this picture of faith and then he says, hey, Abraham by faith and then says all the things that Abraham did. And you're like, wow, that's incredible. And then he says, Sarah, his wife, by faith believed. And it says all the things that Sarah did and believed. And then it says, Enoch, who it says, it's so cool. He walked with God and he was not What that means is that he did not die. He walked with God and God said, the time's come, I'm not gonna let you die on this earth, I'm gonna pluck you up and you're coming with me. That by faith, he believed. You have Rahab, who everyone in her culture said no, but she said, I see the faith of the people around me and I will do what God has asked me to do, so I will have faith. That she had faith, Joseph, Moses, Noah, And then at the end, it gets this classic preacher thing. It says, if I'd have time, I'd give you David and all the other people. Then it's this picture, it's called the hall of faith by a lot of people. This hall of faith, the people that believed in God, regardless of what they saw around them, they didn't trust their circumstances, they trusted their Savior, and they said, this is what I want to believe. And this is how he finishes Hebrews 11, verse 39 and 40. It says, and all these, all these people... They'll commend it through their faith. Like they did good things, big things through their faith. Did not receive what was promised. They didn't see the fruition of Jesus. They did not see the fruition of what their faith became. They did not see how their faith was written down in a book so that we could look at it and learn about God because they had faith. But look at this. This is the phrase that I think we have to build all this off of. It says, since God has provided something better for us, That God provided something better for us. And I think you have to answer the question for yourself. Do you believe that God has something better? Because as we get into this and and you start to think about you're running this race, you're trying to do things that honor God, you want your life to to mean something and be powerful and and have purpose and have meaning. And when you're 80 years old, hopefully when you're you're dying on your deathbed, I'm going to say 90 or 100. They go 90 or 100 and you're dying on your deathbed. That you can look back and say, I did it. And then when you die, you can be greeted by God. And He says, Well done, good and faithful servant. He says that these people believed that since God had something, provided something better for us. Do you believe God has something better for you than what this world has to offer? That apart from us on this world, they should not be made perfect. So this picture in Hebrews that he's building is that these were people that we look up to in the faith, but they did not become perfect. They were not the end-all, be-all. And I want you to turn... To Hebrews 12, 1, because that is where we go. So what do we do? How do you transition well? How do you hold on to the things that matter and let go of the things that don't matter? How do you transition the right way? Well, in Hebrews 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this is not an arena where we are performing, and the, the cloud of witnesses that he just talked about are living up in the cloud somewhere, kind of living as ghosts and saying like, hey, I'm cheering you on. It's good. It's saying that we have a history in the faith of people that have sacrificed their self so that they can honor God. God, it's not about me, it's about you. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. But they are people that went before us that showed it is worth it to live a life that honors God. Listen to this. He says, let us also lay aside every weight, In sin which clings so closely, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. The first phrase I want you to look at is, let us also, let us also. The picture here is that this is a group of Hebrew believers that he would have been speaking to, and he just gave them the hall of faith. He just gave them the list of people that they would have looked at and gone, crushed it, so good, named my son after him, big deal, hero in the faith, I can only dream to be as good as him. And he says, hey, let us also do what they did. That you read stories in the Bible and we can make things what they're not, but Jesus is the answer. And the other people that are in the Bible are meant to point us to Jesus, who is the answer. And he says, let us also. We can do what they did, not to have our words, our life written down in the Lamb's book of life, or it's not in the Lamb's book of life, but in in God's word. And maybe your life won't be projected to the world that way, but your life can be projected to the world where they see God's working in your heart and in your life. And they say, "That, that doesn't happen apart from something supernatural outside of yourself. Let us also that maybe you could consider yourself and say like, man, if you knew the stuff that I did in high school, if you knew the stuff that I did at the beginning of of college, if you knew what my home life looked like, you would never say that I could have an impact on the kingdom of God. challenge that. If you look at the people that God used in the Bible, if you look at the people that God has used in my life that have impacted me, they're far from perfect. But they're people that will empty their hands And say, God, what I hold, the things that I want to make my life meaningful, it's not worth it. But God, if I can in some way reflect you to the world, that will bring value. That will bring goodness. Let us also, let you also fill in your name in the blank. But the phrasing, what he uses after that, is what our point was at the beginning tonight. He says, let us also Lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely. The, another version is going to say, in sin which so easily entangles or ensnares. The, the idea here is that when you run a race, you want to let go of the things that don't matter. You want to let go of the things that are going to weigh you down. You want to let go of the things that are going to stop you, that are going to keep you from doing what you need to do. It's no chance that he used the word ensnare or entrap because if you're running and you're ensnared in something, you're not able to keep moving forward. And I think sin is the clear one here. Sin is the thing that you probably know what that thing is. You probably know what that thing is that you can't kick. You know what that thing is that you go, I have a biological bend towards this sin. I hate it about myself. Maybe you love it about yourself? Maybe you've accepted it. Oh, I just I'm kind of angry. It's just who I am. Man, I just my family loves alcohol. My family has such a hard time with drugs. My family has such a hard time with drama, gossip, hurting people with our words. It could be anything under the sun. But it says that this, this sin does not just something that we carry along with us. It's a, it's a, it, it clings tightly to us and keeps us from moving forward. I think about, like, my, my boys love to, anytime they can, they jump on me, like, physically jump on me. And it's so much fun until all three of them are on me, and I'm like, listen, you, you got me, like, There's like 90 pounds of kid there, and I just can't do it. Like, you got me stuck, and I can do it for a minute, but they've entrapped me. They've ensnared me, and I can't move any further. What is that for you? What is that thing that's hanging on to your foot? The Bible talks about how we shouldn't be giving Satan a foothold. That initially it doesn't seem or feel or bother us, but now that you're maybe 10 years out of high school, five years out of high school, a year out of high school, you thought, oh, maybe that was something that will leave with transition, and it hasn't left with transition. It's stayed there. And it's clung to you. I think the first thing that we have to do is acknowledge what that problem is. if you can't acknowledge what the problem is, you don't know how to fix it. You don't know how to bring it to the table. You don't know how to set it aside. I'm I'm trying to run, but man, I don't know what my problem is. The people around you can probably see it. That's why we talk about community. That's why we want a big group to feel small. It's easy to limp in and out of here, and no one knows your name. No one knows what's going on with you. No one knows what that thing is that's wrapped around your ankle. But if we were to spend some time together, you'd probably see what sin is wrapped around my ankle, and I could maybe see what's wrapped around your ankle, and we could help each other. In James 5, it talks about, like, we know, I think we know this. I think we know that, like, between me and God, I'm good. Like, I'm forgiven. I'm, I'm good. But then we go, why is it that on this earth things are not getting better? But James 5 talks about how we need to confess our sin to one another, one another so that we might be healed. That we're walking around forgiven by God, but not healed on earth. And we wonder, man, it's, it keeps getting harder. Me and God are good, but I haven't let go of it yet. Then it talks about weights. It says sin and weights, and all, almost all versions have that same idea of sin and weights. And I kept looking into it going, why, why did it make that distinction? What, what is, is, sin, is weight just another word for sin here? Like, what, why, why include two different words? But what's a weight? A weight is something that slows you down and makes it harder to go further. You can't go fast and you can't go far with a weight on you. And a weight is something that might help you, it might not be bad for you, but it's gonna make things more difficult for me. When I was in college, I rolled my ankle really bad. I was playing a sport and rolled my ankle and and it it ballooned up, and then once it healed, it got better, but like it was weak. It, It wasn't as strong as it needed to be. So I went out and I bought an ankle brace And this ankle brace was like it it made my ankle real stiff and like I could I didn't have a ton of mobility, but it made my ankle stronger, so it wasn't going to do that again. And it was kind of nice. Like I would wear that when I would run, I'd wear it when I would play sports, and um, it was nice to have. It helped. But you look at your situation and you go, I I don't need an ankle ankle brace. It's something that helps me, but might hinder you. And you look at those extra things and you say, okay, it's not sin, it's not a bad thing, but you're carrying it along, and then you're wondering why your life's not where God wanted it to be, where you hoped it would be. That maybe you're like, man, God gave me this vision for my life and where it would be and and what person I want to be, but I also want to be in a relationship. So I'm gonna carry that with me. And I want to be married. Not a bad desire, good desire. But it's a weight that you carry with you that you make the ultimate thing. And ultimately, it becomes something that you set your eyes on that's not the prize. It's a weight. It's not a bad thing, it's not something bad to carry. But it doesn't help you get your goal. Maybe for some of you, it's financial success. It's success in whatever arena you want to say it is, whether it's at work or school or even just with your friends, you want success, but you're going to start hanging on to those things and you're going to go, okay, I want to chase after God, but I also want the people in my life to love and accept me. So I'll do whatever it takes to get money, to get success, to get acceptance. And we sit here bogged down Trying to carry too many things. And then we wonder, why? Why does my life not look like I want it to? Where what the author here says is that we should lay aside, throw off everything that is a weight and a sin, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We have to run the race. I wanna live my life, whether that's in the next five hours or the next five decades, in a way that I can meet God in heaven and say, I did everything that I knew to do. And it terrifies me to think that I could show up and say, I did most of the things that I knew to do. I really loved Comfort, God, I'm sorry. And miss it. Miss it. I hate to miss it. So, how do we run the race? The first piece talks about how we run with endurance. How do we run with endurance? I think when you run with endurance, you have training and perspective. Uh, I have a couple of friends who have run marathons and you, you start with the like, couch to 5K, you just start getting out there and taking a walk, you just start getting active and then you start taking a one mile run it's a half run, half jog. It's a half walk, half jog. It's a, I mean, you gotta start where you are at. It takes training, it takes moments, it takes time to get where you wanna go. I look at heroes in my faith and I go, man, I wanna run with endurance so when I'm 76 like you are. I was having lunch with somebody today and I saw someone from our church. Who I, be- I didn't look it up, I forgot to, but I believe is in their mid to late 80s. And I just got to sit with him and say, man, I just, I want my faith to be like that, man's so when I'm 86. I want to look back and say, I did everything I knew to do. I want to train for it now. To do the things that God has set before me today. My friends that ran marathons, they didn't start by running 26 miles or whatever craziness they do. They started off by running one. They started off by running two. They started off by having a long run every Sunday where they would run six miles, three miles. Whatever the training plan said. And sometimes I think we look at God's word and we go, got it got it, easy stuff, don't have a problem with it, not called to it. And God's sitting there going, you're not taking the one mile run seriously. You're not willing to be faithful in the small things so you haven't received large things. I think it's both training and perspective. You have to keep perspective on, man, I'm 25, I'm going to do everything I know to do at 25. I'm going to seek out some wisdom. I'm going to do everything I know how to do at 20, at 25, at 30. And I'm going to be faithful. It's perspective. It's gratitude. I thank you for putting me where I am today. God, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where the people around me are. But I'm grateful where I'm at today. Training. Endurance. Endurance. So how do we run the race? How do we know what to hold? How do we know what to let loose of? And I want to give you a couple of things, and this is what I talk through when I talk to guys about making decisions. So these are three things on making decisions, what to know how to hold and what to know how to let go of. And the first question that I ask guys is, is it sin? Like, is it wrong? Is it good? Is it clearly outlined in God's word? Like, that's going to ensnare you. That's not. Like That has to be the first piece of our metric that we go, okay, I have two choices in front of me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm moving in this race, and I have a left and a right. Which one? Sometimes you go, okay, that one is wrong and that one is right, and that's where it has to start. That's where it has to live. Logan talked, and I think we've each talked about it almost every week, but Hebrews 4 12 through 13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning through the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Like, there, there's this idea that, like, God's word will help shine a light on who we want to be, who God's word helps us become. Is it sin? The second question is, is it wise? Is it wise? James 3.17 says, but the wisdom from above, the wisdom from God is pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, the good fruits, impartial and sincere. There are things that you can do that are Sin and not sin. And then once you walk through that door, it's, okay, is this a wise decision? And I think a a second piece of this, and this is from Andy Stanley. It's such a good question, but given my past, given my current circumstances, and given my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? Because sometimes, like, if I don't know your story and you come up and say, man, I'd love to go on a date with this girl, ask her on a date. Sounds great. You should do it. Man, I just, my car's broken down and I need something. Is it bad to take out a loan? I don't know. Is it wise for you to take out a loan? There are questions here where it's like, given who your past has been, given who you are in the present and given your future hopes and dreams, it may not be a good idea to do either of those two things. And that's okay. But is it a wise thing to do? And question three is this. Is it growing God's kingdom? Is it growing God's kingdom? Because sometimes I think that first verse was so important in Hebrews 4 because it says it, it divides, it, it gets to the heart of the thoughts and tensions of the heart. Because sometimes I think that we can justify things outwardly and, and honestly, I've heard the phrase, I've used the phrase, I don't know how to, how to discern like the Holy Spirit tells us to, but we look at, God's, at what people do and, and they go, God's just telling me. And it's like, I can't, who am I would argue with God? You'd, you'd make your choice, Sure, if God's telling you, I don't know how to tell you not to do that. That's God's, but sometimes I think it can pass the, is it sin question and is it wise question? And then I don't know what God has revealed to you quietly, personally, individually. Only you and God can know that. But that's why I think all three of the pieces of what we talked about in our previous messages are so important. You have to know God's word. It's gonna get to the heart of who you are, where you are, the division of, bone and marrow. I mean, it gets to the deepest part of us so that when we want to make a decision, and we're not justifying it outwardly, but inside it's a selfish motive. Matthew 6, This is one of my favorite pieces of scripture. I would always read this because I was a worrier growing up and in high school and I'd look up verses, verses on worrying. I'd use Google all the time and Matthew 6 would come up and it would talk about how good God is and if he cares for the lilies of the field and he clothes them in beauty, why wouldn't he do the same for you? And if he cares for the sparrow, why wouldn't he do the same for you that there's millions and billions of sparrows and he still cares for them and he cares for you even more? And, and it just helped me so much understand it. But the key to all of that is not just putting it all in perspective. That's a piece of it. The key to it is Matthew 6, how he ends it. He says, don't care about how your life, is, what you eat and what you drink, but he ends it this way. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. He's saying, if your top priority is seeking the kingdom of God, what's best for his kingdom? What's best for that final decision of well done, good and faithful servant? That's what's most important. That's what's most important. Are you living your life for God's kingdom or your kingdom? I, I look at this and, and, and I, I, I look at the question of like, hey, run the race, do it well. And I'm like, some of y'all here run the race and you're like, I'm not a good runner. So I, never try, I, I don't try to run. So the, the, the word picture of run the race is lost on me. So this is not working. I'm not, not liking this. You can move on. I get it. I hear you and we will but like you have these feelings of inability, not even just with the example of running the race, but with, man, I've made so many mistakes. Am I really the type of person that God wants me running this race for him? Am I really the type of person? Could God use somebody with my path? I see it in the Bible, I hear about it, I listen to people's awesome stories and testimony videos and baptism videos, but mine isn't that clear, mine isn't that clean, mine isn't that pretty. Can God really use it? And I'm brought back to Ephesians 2 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And listen to this it is not of your own doing. That means you can't bring enough good to the table to win God's merit, to win his favor. It's the gift of God. A gift is not merited. A gift is not because you did this, we're giving you this gift. No, a gift is a gift. It doesn't have any hooks in it. It doesn't have any barbs connected to it. It doesn't have a line connected to it that wants something else from you. It's not a result of your works, good or bad, so that no person can boast and go, man, I'm so glad I found God, because, man, I, I just, I figured it out. It's not us, it's Him. It's Jesus over and over and over and over. So when it talks about this race, we look at the next verse in Ephesians. It says, for we are his workmanship, in verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He set the table. All we have to do is stand at it. He's created the good works for you. So you go, okay, I don't know what the next step is. You don't, know how, you don't have to know what the next step is. You just have to see Jesus and say, I want that. Because I think the key to all this, the key is not, hey, run the race. It's about endurance. It's about figuring out how to do it. The key is found in verse 12. There's no code, there's no behavior modification that makes this make sense. What makes sense is Hebrews 12, two. It says, looking to Jesus. When you don't feel like you're able, look to Jesus. When you failed, you look to Jesus. When you're not enough, when you don't have the pedigree, when you're not the person, you look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. You know what that means? That means when there was no faith in your heart and in your life, he founded it, he established it, he rooted it in something that you can't take because it's not of your own doing. And when you go, okay, maybe he, he founded it, but... I don't know how to walk in it. Well, guess what? He perfected it. He ran that race as perfectly as anyone could do it. And now he runs with you, for you. When I think about this message, I was thinking about my history with running and I've never been a good runner never been a good runner. When I was uh, in community college in St. Louis, me and a buddy were getting up early in the morning and going to a park and and we would run and it it was helpful to run together. It was helpful and we would run this loop and and it was like two miles, two and a half miles and we built up to that and we we, we couldn't get past the two, two and a half mile barrier. We just couldn't do it. We couldn't do it and finally one of our really good friends that is a good runner, he's built like a gazelle and he just can go out and run eight miles and it's no big deal. He came and ran with us and we're running and we're, we're at mile one and a half, we're at mile one and we're starting to get tired and we're looking down at our feet, we're hoofing it, our shoulders are slumped. And he just kept saying this thing, he said, pick your head up, pick your head up, pick your head up. Every time we'd be running and we'd be like, why does Adam keep saying pick your head up? I'm tired of him saying pick your head up. I'm tired of hearing it. And when we got done with, with the run, we'd done a little bit better. Adam helped us a little bit because he's a good runner and he showed us some good form. We said, why do you say keep your head up? And he said, you guys are looking at your feet. You're looking at the next thing that's gonna be a problem in your, in your run and you don't see the thing that's miles away. He said, if you can look at the horizon, everything else is seen in comparison to the horizon. So that little bump, is not a big deal that water that you had to go around, you saw it coming. You expected it. That in our faith here, if we look at our own feet, we look at our own ability to run, you're gonna fail every time. But we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. We bow your head.